if you know any child or teenager who's involved in the public schools here in Tennessee, you know, we have just finished with TCAP. I thought I would get like a huge amen or hallelujah from, uh, from parents and students. Some of our junior high students are excited about finishing that task. And I wanted to do something today. Uh, one of the, the great privileges we have is to have many educators who attend our church. So if you are currently a teacher or in a public school or a private school or you teach homeschool, if you would do me a favor, can you just stand right now and remain standing so we can recognize you? Any teachers? Any teachers? Thank you. Thank you. I know there's more. All right. Just remain standing. Thank you. And if, if you don't mind, remain standing for a second. We, we just honor you guys. Thank you for what you do. As they remain standing, if you are, and we'll hold our applause at this point, if you're a former teacher that at one time you've been involved in education, or if you work for the school district in administration or maintenance or whatever, or have used to work for the school district, one of the schools or school in another state, would you please stand? Former teachers, all right, thank you. Thank you. And we can remain standing. We'll, we'll, we'll hold our applause at this point. If you are involved here at this church as a volunteer for Awana 4.6, Journeys, any type of child care, a youth sponsor, and you're not standing already, would you please stand and remain standing? We can hold our applause. But if you're involved in children's ministry right now, man, these guys are great. If you've ever, ever been involved in children's ministry, at this church, or another church, or have led a Boy Scout, Girl Scout, if you've led Awanas, Missionettes, MA, uh, come on, some of you are lying right now. You're lying in God's house. Stand up, people. And Deborah and Paul, you have done that before. Please stand up. This, if, in case you don't know where I'm going, this is an illustration. Work with me, people. Okay? Goodness gracious. Okay. If you are currently uh, raising children, would you stand? Okay, and remain standing. If at any point you've ever been involved in raising children, would you stand up, please? If you have ever been an uncle or an aunt, would you stand up right now? I've been involved in kids' lives, okay? All right, uh, the list could go on, but the point is, every one of us standing, you are teachers. Every one of you, whether you have been an aunt, an uncle, a parent, a grandparent, uh, work for a public school, a homeschooler, an Awana teacher, uh, a Sunday school teacher. Every single one of you have been involved in education. Can we give each other a hand as you, it, come on, let's thank our teachers. All right, you, you may be seated. Man, 9 a.m. service was way more cooperative. You guys, I got that Dr. Lee at Union University used that illustration Thursday at the National Day of Prayer breakfast, and it's so perfect. I had to steal it from them for what we're talking about today, because today we're talking about Jesus encourages education. Jesus encourages education. We're jumping back in the series that the video announcements mentioned, and I've got to thank John Ortberg for his wonderful book called Who Is This Man? It's a book that uh, inspired this sermon series and some of the information I got is from that book. Pick it up. It's a great, great read. Today we're talking about Jesus encourages education. And we have to realize that Jesus was a teacher. Jesus at his very heart was a teacher. That's why he was called rabbi. When Jesus came to the world as a Jewish man in the country of Israel, the country of Israel was different 
than most countries in a lot of ways. But at that time, they were a people who were in recovery. They had been in exile in Babylon, and now they were rebuilding their nation, and they had no military, no army, and no king. The history of the world is this. Most of the heroes who have existed in the world have been either a king or a military leader. Even in our country, think about George Washington, our first military hero was the natural person to become our first president. In more recent times, Eisenhower, after World War II, became president. Kennedy had a great war record, and most of our presidents until recently had stellar military records, because we tend to think of military leaders as our heroes. That was not necessarily the case with the Jewish people, because they didn't have a whole lot of military leaders. What they had was a book. We call the Old Testament now. They called it the Torah. And this book is what made them a people. So whether they lived in Palestine or they lived in other parts of the world, uh, living to this book and living towards these scriptures is what made them a people. Therefore, their heroes were teachers. Their heroes were teachers. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, rabbis. And these teachers were the ones who kept them as a people and made them a people. And these teachers would follow certain lines of teaching. They would quote other teachers. And they would say, well, this teacher said this. Or this great Pharisee or teacher interpreted the law this way. But there was a man from Nazareth who wasn't formally educated who was a carpenter. And the scripture tells us Jesus of Nazareth taught in a way that was different than anyone who had ever taught in Israel. He taught with authority. And he taught with power. And when he taught, he didn't quote he didn't quote other rabbis and teachers. He said, truly, truly, I say unto you, with authority, with power, Jesus taught, and Jesus truly was a teacher and a rabbi at heart. So now we, as his followers, recognize that because Jesus encouraged education, that we are people, and we our faith is based not solely on education, but certainly that's a huge part of who we are as a people and who God has called us to be. You know, most people, when they teach, or at least currently, we look at teaching as dispensing information. Uh, Let's just get information to somebody. But Jesus was a transformational teacher. He teached different ways with different styles and different methods because his, his heart behind teaching wasn't just to give out information, but his heart was to transform lives. And that's what our great rabbi and our great teacher did. So now, as followers of Jesus, I want to challenge you today. I want you to open up a new avenue of thinking and seeing God has called us to learn. I want you to know this. This is our first point today. Jesus calls us to learn. A lot of time, because of the modern education system, learning is imposed upon us. And so we cannot wait to get out of high school. We can't wait to get our college degree. And we are kind of made to learn. And the truth is this formal education 
is meant to teach us how to learn. But learning doesn't stop upon graduation. Learning doesn't stop because you get a piece of paper to put on the wall. Learning is a gift from God, and learning is for all of us. Learning and letting God teach us and continuing our self-education is part of God's call upon our life. And Jesus made this very clear in Matthew 22. That's our first text today. It's a very meaningful text. They were trying to trap Jesus. You know, the other religious leaders who couldn't handle his authority and couldn't handle his claims were always trying to trap Jesus. So they asked him this question in in Matthew 22, starting with verse 36. Teacher, there it is again, right? That's who he was. Which command in the law is the greatest? This is a trick question. This is like someone asking me, which one of your three kids do you love the most? I mean, how can I answer that, right, Luke? I mean, I I can answer that. You're supposed to say me, Dad, right? No. you You can't answer that question accurately, but Jesus did. And what Jesus did is he summed up all of the law and really all of the Old Testament commands with verse 37. He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. I love this fact. And we talk about our heart. And and perhaps this means our emotions. You know, we say that person really put their heart into this meal they cooked. Or they really put their heart into this painting they painted. They put their emotions. They put all of who they are. You know, and our faith is an emotional faith. I don't think it's wrong to get emotional in church at all. We we have things that appeal to our senses. And we spend billions of dollars trying to regulate our emotions. You know, through therapy, through medicine. And those are certainly not wrong to do those things at all. But to say, well, church should never be emotional. I don't think that's true. I mean, I get emotional about what God has done for me. I get emotional about the content of the words on the screen. I get emotional about the power of the word. So it's not wrong to be emotional. In, in, in our church, we're a very engaging people. I mean, you see people lift their hands and sing, and, and we, we hope that we have space for people to be free in worship and also for people to kind of soak it in, kind of see what's going on. And But but there's a freedom to engage emotionally. We love the Lord with, with all of our hearts. And then we love our Lord with all of our soul. You know, there's always a little bit of mystery of what a soul is, but the essence of who we are, our personality, our our pathway to God, um, the uniqueness of of a soul of a human being uh, created in God's image for the year 2014 uh, with a DNA and and a placement of God by his providential work. But look at that third one. And with all your mind. I mean, this is the part sometimes we forget. And so the conclusion is this. Here's a great statement that, that I want you to remember. We, 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 we can conclude from this verse accurately that learning is an act of worship. Think about that. Learning is an act of worship. It's one of the ways we worship God. So it is that, you know, if, if we're 
We're praying for one another. And this emotional component comes in. That's a good thing. I think one of the most positive things that's happened to our church in this last year or two is the increase of intercession. We have people who are praying before service, on Thursdays, during the service, on special nights of the month. And we're praying, and, and the Holy Spirit is doing a great work through prayer. And prayer has an emotional component to it. It does. Because we, we're aligning ourselves with God. If I go pray for my wife, Beth, you know, we, we, there's a dynamic. God's there. I mean, we feel him many times. His presence is there. That's a good thing. That's helpful. Worship is a helpful thing. But the Lord wants us to know this. Even though he's coming in those spaces and in that dynamic place that we can have that component of freedom in the spirit and God moving in a tangible way and still not turn off our brain. Because God says worship with your mind. Worship through learning. Learning is part of the way God is engaging with us. And Jesus did that. And the, Jesus began to do something incredible. Jesus began to teach anyone. He went to the synagogues, but he didn't just stay at the synagogue. He didn't just go to the palace or to the special places of education. Jesus began to teach people everywhere. And he preached whoever was curious. And he preached not just to the elite. Because in the ancient world, you only received education if you had two things uh, that were true about your life. You were a male and you were wealthy. If you didn't have those, you didn't receive education. But Jesus, Jesus changed that. Because he began to teach to what society had labeled the common people. And he began to teach them through parables and teach them through stories and teach them through illustrations and confirm that teaching with miracles. And when uh, people wanted to marginalize the children and say, oh, don't let the children bother the rabbi. Don't let the children bother the teacher. Jesus held the children and he blessed them. You know, Jesus taught women, so women followed him to the cross, and they were there at his resurrection. Jesus taught all types of different people along the, the social classes, the people who were hated, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people who uh, were despised. He taught them equally. Education was not just for the elite. Education was for every person. And so it was because Jesus started this pattern and he called us to be learners and he called us to be those who continue, continually engage. And so because of that, early on, Christians started schools and they started schools because they wanted to take what Jesus had taught and his teachings and integrate them with the regular learning, what we now call classical learning of the Greek and the Romans. Instead of disconnecting those, the early Christians brought those together. And they brought those together because they knew there was power in the words of Jesus. And they also had a curiosity that said, even though our faith is very much defined by our tradition, by the Jewish faith, and now the teachings of Jesus, we can still learn. We can still learn from culture. 
We can still learn from literature. We can still learn from art. Our learning is not limited. Our learning is can, under the direction of the Spirit and in the right environment. Our learning can be expanded. So it was that the early Christians believed that, that God created everything. And because God had created everything, anytime we, we accumulate knowledge, knowledge about the world, knowledge about emotion, knowledge about the environment, knowledge about science, we're gaining knowledge about God. They're not disconnected. Even things such as math and logic all point to God, all point to Jesus. And this all started because Jesus believed everyone needed to learn. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your mind. The early Christians concluded, if God could speak through Balaam's donkey, then maybe God could speak through some of the pagan literature that that exists in our world and through the filter of the scripture and through the filter of the spirit, we can be people who learn. That's why Augustine, who's one of the early church fathers who helped form our faith, said this word. He said, all truth is God's truth. The thought that this is that God can use truth to set us free, to sharpen our minds, to expand our horizon, and most importantly, to point us to God, no matter how it comes. So Jesus calls us to learn. But here's the second point. But Jesus calls us to teach. That's why I had almost everybody in here stand. And if someone didn't stand, they'll be able to stand in the next few years. Because we are people called to teach. That's what God's called us to do. Right before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave his last words, some of his very last words to his disciples. And it was really the first ultimate mission statement, saying, I'm leaving and I'm not taking you with me for a particular reason. Matthew 28, 19, here's the words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's why we're a missions people. That's why we care about missions. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Look at this phrase. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the last things Jesus told us is go and teach. He didn't say go and just accumulate a crowd. You know, go and accumulate a crowd and get people to do this, which is raising my hand. Because can I just be real honest with you? If you're a fairly good speaker... It's really not hard to get people to raise their hand. It really isn't. What's difficult is putting a local church in a place where the gospel hasn't been taught. What's difficult is starting education centers and training centers and teaching people who don't know God how to read and how to write so they can go to the scripture and learn who God is. That's difficult work. That's hard work, but that's exactly what the followers of Jesus have been doing for the last 2,000 years. The followers of Jesus have been educating, teaching. Jesus said, I am going. I am going. Now you go. You go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, making them followers of Jesus. And education is a huge part of who we are as a people. I love the book of Acts, and and if you skim through the book of Acts, you're immediately going to 
uh, be arrested in your thoughts uh, about the power of the Holy Spirit. Healings, deliverances, jail cells that are miraculously being opened by angels. Shadows are crossing over people and they're getting healed of diseases. And I thank God that that's not just a distant story. That's still happening all over the world. And I pray we see more of that, both in my personal life and in us as a body. But something that maybe wrongly overshadows the book of Acts is how many times in the book of Acts we see the disciples teaching. Everywhere they go, they teach. They teach and teach. Yes, they heal and they deliver, but the healing and deliverance leads them to the teaching. Here's a great example of that in Acts chapter 5, verse 42. It says, every day, that's a, that's a key phrase, every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, do a word search with a concordance or through, through Bible Gateway about the word teach or teaching throughout the New Testament. It comes up over and over and over again because that's what God called the disciples to do, to teach, to teach, to go and make disciples. That is a, who we are as a people. That's what God's called us to do. And he's called us to do that is because Jesus is special and Jesus is unique. You might, might know this. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And he was, by, by many people's conclusion, one of the most educated men to ever live. And his mentor was the greatest teacher in the world. And he was taught by the greatest people. But Paul said something about Jesus that he didn't say about himself. And he said something about Jesus that he didn't say about his mentor. And he said something about Jesus that he didn't say about all the great teachers that he was exposed to. Colossians 3.2, this is what Paul said about Jesus. All the treasure of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Is that not a beautiful phrase? All wisdom and all knowledge are hidden in him. This uneducated carpenter from Nazareth. Yeah, that's in the natural what he is. But we know that God confirmed him as the son of the living God. And that he is the Logos. He is the Word. He embodies the knowledge of the Lord as he reflects the Father, as he is part of the Trinity. All treasure of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. That's what Paul proclaimed. As, as smart as Paul was, and as good as he was with words, both Paul and Peter and John, as they wrote the New Testament, they didn't glory in their wisdom. They didn't glory in their education. They didn't glory in the way that they could write down words and, and make them known. They, they gloried in Christ because Christ had all knowledge and wisdom. They were hidden with him. And they spread this message over and over again. After the fall of Rome, there were no books. There were no printing presses. And so around the 6th century, Europe was becoming quite illiterate. No libraries existed anymore. You know it as the Dark Ages. And those who followed Jesus believed that it mattered that the learning of the world and the great documents of the world were preserved. So there were monasteries all over Europe. And in these monasteries, they accumulated the text of the day. And monks, they would, they would write down and copy by hand, way before the printing press, 
they would copy these texts to spread ideas, to preserve ideas. And there in those monasteries became libraries once again. For many, many years, decades, learning was held by the church. And you had to go to a monastery to get a book or get a text and to learn. And here's the amazing things about those early Christians in the, in the middle, in the dark ages. That when they copied the text, it wasn't just scripture, though they did that. They copied the scriptures and they preserved scripture. But they preserved the great literature of the Greeks and the Romans that were pagan, that, that did not have any connection with the Jewish faith or the Christian faith. If it was not if it wasn't for Christians and followers of Jesus, much of the education of the world would have disappeared. But the followers of Jesus knew that they needed to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and their mind. And that meant that they kept the books and preserved the books, even when they didn't directly relate to their faith. So it was that monasteries became the first universities. During the Reformation... Martin Luther introduced, among others, this concept of the priesthood of all believers. Up until the Reformation, all of us would have had to go to God through a priest. So it was that the, the scripture was only in the hands of the preachers and the priests and the bishops. And it was in a language that only the elite, only the educated knew. But Martin Luther and others, when they started the Reformation, they believed that every Christian should have the scripture in their own language to read for themselves. And this birthed the modern literacy movement, the goal that every human being should be able to read and write. This happened because followers of Jesus believed the scriptures and believed what he taught and believed that every person should be educated because if every person is educated and able to pursue the truth, that truth will lead to Jesus Christ. That truth will lead to the one source. A lot of times we forget that the pilgrims who helped start this nation and that particular group came to this nation for it to be a Christian nation. That within six years of them landing in Plymouth, they started a college to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, you know that college as Harvard University. In the late 1700s, child labor laws in England were horrific. Children were not going to school. Children were working in factories, working in the slums six days a week without any regulation, without any limitation on working conditions or how long they could work. And we were headed, the, the, the country of England was headed towards a disaster, an uneducated generation that was suffering from the Industrial Revolution. But there was a Christian, a man who followed Jesus named Robert Rakes. And he said, this is unacceptable. And he thought, how can I help educate this generation of students? And there was only one day of the week that these children weren't working. And that was Sunday. And he started something known as Sunday School. And Sunday School mobilized volunteers all over England to educate these poor children to give them a chance for upward mobility, to give them a chance to advance themselves. And the Sunday school movement was the greatest educational uh, movement of volunteers that have ever happened. Volunteers teaching children how to read, how to write, because men like Robert Rakes believed that the gospel would only be spread when people could seek the truth on their own 
by themselves. And nation after nation, Christian missionaries have gone primarily from this country and from England and now from others to tribes and to people who had a language that had never been written down, a language that had never been, uh, n- never been in written form. And they took these tribal languages and they developed an alphabet and they developed uh, words and they helped put these words on paper. And in most cases, the first formal word that was put in paper and language after language, tribe after tribe, all over this planet over the last 200 years has been the name of Jesus. Why? Because the followers of Jesus knew that he called us to love the Lord with our hearts, our souls, and our minds. Many times Christianity is wrongly accused of being anti-scientific. But the truth is that all of the early scientists in Europe were believers, believers in God, inspired by God. And to this very day, more Christians are scientists than than people readily recognize. Giving God glory that scientific breakthroughs are his knowledge and what he's doing. I'm going to invite Phil and his team to join me up here. And here's the deal. This is what I want to challenge with you today. If you've kind of tuned me out, tune me back in, okay? Here's, here's, what, here's the point. God is calling you as a follower of Jesus to not stop your education, to not stop growing, to not stop learning. Just whenever you stop going to formal school doesn't mean your learning stopped. We should ruthlessly... Pursue the truth. We should be people who don't turn off our minds and blindly listen to our leaders and and let them tell us what to believe. We should respect our leaders, but we should think for ourselves. We should have thoughts and continue to let God expand our thoughts and expand our minds. And we should uh, draw from a variety of sources to cause our minds to grow and cause our minds to become everything God wants it to be. That's why Wednesday night we had the closing ceremonies for Awana. And I'm so proud of our Awana leadership, those of you who are teaching Awana. And I want you to take a deep breath over the next two and a half months because before you know it, August is going to be here. And when August comes, we're going to spend an hour and a half every Wednesday night educating our children, discipling our children, giving them the tools that they can love the Lord their God with all their mind. VBS is coming, and we're going to use VBS as a chance to reach out to teenagers. Uh, excuse me, to children. Teenagers can't come to VBS. We're going to use VBS as a chance to reach out to children in our church and in our community, and they're going to learn to love the Lord with their soul and with their emotions and with their heart as we have fun and we sing, but they're going to memorize Scripture, and they're going to learn who God is, and they're going to read His Word. That's what God's called us to do. We have a full-time youth pastor at this church, uh, a young man, and he and his wife who go to sports games and hang out with teenagers because they want to have an open door to those teenagers to educate them and disciple them. A youth pastor who meets in the morning before schools for young, with young men who want to learn more about the Lord and to be discipled. Why? That's what God's called us to do. That's the type of people we are. We're people who love the Lord with all of our mind. You know, my class is over that I teach on Wednesday night until August. But when we start that back in August, listen, I have people who come to that class who have been walking with the Lord longer than I've been born, who know more than me, but they're hungry. 
they're hungry to let the Lord uh, uh, let the Lord use their mind and expand their mind, and we learn from one another because learning is an act of worship. We worship God through learning. So now I've preached for 25 minutes or so, but here here's my word for you. This is going to sum it up. You ready? People of God, don't stop thinking. Don't stop thinking. Worship God with your mind. For some of you, this is going to look different for all of us, but for some of you, that means sometime this summer, God's calling you to pick up a book. And I just want to encourage you to pick up any kind of book that you're interested in. Any, anything that piques your curiosity, as long as it's not like evil and that kind of thing, dark. But, but if it's about sports, if it's about a hobby you like, if it's a, about history, if it's about, you know, how to bake better cupcakes to the glory of God, whatever it is to expand your mind, get on a system to learn. We have Bible reading plans at the Communication Center. And listen, don't wait till January to start reading your Bible again. Start reading your Bible now, just three or four times a week. Now, some of you who, you're bookworms, and you're always reading a book, and we would all be intimidated if we knew how much you read, because you would make us all sick, because you're reading all the time. This is maybe what you need to do. Take a lawn chair to your backyard and think. Don't read anymore. Think. You've been reading, 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 and you need to think about what you've been reading. Get out a piece of paper and a pen and write down your thoughts. You've been reading everybody else's thoughts, but you, you have the mind of Christ, and God's moving through your mind. You're worshiping God through your mind. People of God, let's love the Lord with all our soul and with all our heart and with all our mind. Promise, Dan.